I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, everybody. Uh, Jeremy here with a really quick pre-episode announcement. Uh, this week, we, we changed things up a little bit. Uh, we are, we're doing another one of these caretaker episodes, uh, similar to the episode that we did with my wife, Bridie, except this time we're talking to a very sweet woman named Cece. Uh, Cece's mother lives with schizophrenia. And Cece plays a pretty big role in, in caring for her mother. Um, we, we call her Cece. However, that is not her real name. She wishes to be semi-anonymous just to protect the privacy of her family. And we totally understand that. Um, and I, I wanted to say that <clears throat> uh, Cece was a great, a great guest, but her blog post is really something. And if you, you have a chance, head over to our website uh, check it out. Her blog is called, uh, I think it's called the same thing that we're going to name this episode. M- my mother has schizophrenia. Um, and it's really worth, worth the read. There's also a really great video there from, uh, from it's a, a Ted talk video. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to say, uh, Oh shit, maybe I shouldn't say this. Uh, no, you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it because then we'll make sure it happens next week is going to be another special episode because we're going to interview someone who actually lives with schizophrenia. Um, so it's going to be a very schizophrenic, heavy next couple of weeks. And and I want to do this because I feel like it's one of those illnesses that really, truly is racked with stigma. And there's a lot that can be learned from that and a lot that... Uh, it's a really important discussion, I think. Um <laughs> the reason I wasn't sure if I should say it is because we haven't actually recorded it yet. We're recording it uh, tomorrow, a.k.a. today, if you're listening to this on Monday. Um, <clears throat> so hopefully we'll get that recorded. We'll put it out next week and and uh, before we head off to Vancouver. And that's the other announcement is we are going to be in Vancouver. We're going to be in your city if you're living on the West Coast. So hit us up. Hit us up if you know the, the places to see um, the places to eat and drink. We would love to set up a meetup. We'd love to meet uh, all of our listeners out there. And if you are living on the West Coast and you have a story you want to share with us, you want to be on the podcast, get at us. Um, you can email us at info at sickboypodcast.com. All right, well, I hope you enjoy this uh, really sweet episode with our our favorite Acadian French uh, um, caretaker, Cece. Uh, cool. Enjoy. Love you guys. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Cece. Her mom has schizophrenia. Let's talk about it. Uh, so we are back again. Back again. Okay. My music at work. Okay, stop it. He's still high from last night. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love you, boy. We we record these episodes in batches and put them out. But uh, last night was the Tractor the Hip concert, mm. and gosh darn it, a magical night it was. It was magical. And it was tragically beautiful. I cried more times in that one sitting, like separate, like start crying, stop crying. So many times. So many. Yeah, it was, I was so. It, I was extremely dehydrated afterwards. It was because of the... Uh, the like, alcohol or your tears? <laughs> Both. Both. Yeah. It was a mixture of the two. It was the, the triple encore that really like sent me on an emotional roller coaster because like I'd be like, this is the end. Man, and Grace, like, Grace too, when he's just standing there screaming no. Mm-hmm. Oh, my fucking heart. Uh, so am I the only one that saw it, saw it kind of in a positive way? Like he did a great career. Oh, oh my, my God. God. It was totally. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everyone was crying. I was like, he, he should be smiling right now at the uh, same time because he, he had a good That run. guy nailed Can it. we swear on like, here? Uh, okay. Yeah. Fuck, okay. Fuck no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, well, hello, Cece. Hi. How's it going? Uh, thanks for piping up there. I love that. You just, just hopped on, <laughs> ready to do it. 
this will be this will be an interesting episode. It's this will be the first time that we've um, spoke to someone who has been directly affected by illness without mm-hmm. actually being sick, who isn't mm-hmm. related to me. Okay. Um, I think that's the first time we've ever done that. We've done an episode with my wife, Bridie, uh, who kind of plays a caretaker role. We've done an episode with my parents, who have uh, who also kind of take on a caretaker role. Um, but we are talking to Cece today, mm-hmm. who I'm not sure, would you consider yourself a caretaker? <sighs> now, yes. Mm-hmm. Before, no, because it's been since I was five years old. So right. I was completely, I would say, born into it because sure. my memory before that, like, I don't remember her as normal, right. per se. And right? her so being my your, mother. your mom. Yeah. And what is it since five years old that So my mother had? was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia when, she was, when I was five. So she was in her mid-20s. Mid-20s when she got or no, diagnosed. Yeah, 28. Okay. Yeah. So Um, around my age right now, which is kind of ironic why I'm here. (laughs) These these conversations are so so important. And I think that we could probably pretty confidently say they're – they are some of the episodes that we get the most feedback on okay. in terms of people writing in and being you know, really supportive and being and really uh, engaging listeners because uh, if you if you said that there's 10 sick people, mm-hmm. then there's probably 30 to 50 people that are affected, affected outside of it, that. Yeah. So you it, that are it, in the environment, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And being affected by mm-hmm. these illnesses or diseases or whatever it is. So like would you say that like if we worked in ratios like 3 to 5 people for every one person? Right, exactly. Well, it depends on the household too. That's yeah. exactly. Yeah. I was well, like, I, I, you guys lost me at ten. <laughs> uh, Jeremy's, Jeremy's bad with numbers math. and math. But it, we are we are reaching. I mean, there's a, obviously a large audience of people yeah. that are. Well, Ill, I was just but. telling um, Jeremy in the car. I was like, I don't think you guys realize how much of a support group this is. So I would consider myself this is the second support room I've been, and it's probably I think it would be the best one so far. That right? is so because awesome. Because like the first one, when I came to Halifax, I reached out to Schizophrenia of Nova Scotia and they do information. You go there for information if you want to know about the illness. And then after that, I kind of felt like I was almost in an AA meeting right. in a sense because you're sitting there and you're like, hi, my name is Cece. And, and everybody was there for either their son or their daughter or their cousins. And, um, and this was like the weirdest reaction because I'm like, hi, like my mother has schizophrenia since I was five. And everybody just shut down and like looked at me with this like serious face. And I was like, uh. <laughs> Which makes it so much harder, harder to in talk a sense, about. Because right? like, it's like, okay, like I think at that point I realized like, okay, I didn't really live that normal life mm-hmm. you know for, for me that was my norm but not for everybody right. else just just right <laughs> off the top so that we can like paint a paint a picture can you can you give us an idea of what your family dynamic is like is it so it's your mother and you and uh, then who else is in the picture i have an older brother and uh he is married now and i have a little nephew too he's adorable he's four years old and then my father so my parents are still together oh wow okay awesome yeah this whole time um mm-hmm. i think that was probably one of the biggest positive influence in this whole situation is have seeing my father support my mother through this whole situation without mm-hmm. it's one of those illness like you hear schizophrenia and everybody's scared of it mm-hmm. right yeah. because yeah. You're, you're hearing voices well you know what before. i think is scary about schizophrenia for me when mm-hmm. i hear the word schizophrenia and i, I full disclosure like when i hear the word schizophrenia there is a i'm a bit scared of it mm-hmm. to talk about it because yeah. I have no idea what it is. What it is. It's steeped in stigma. And like pop oh. culture, popular popular culture has done has not, it, nothing, hasn't, hasn't done yeah. anything good for, no. for the perspective. Of, yeah. I mean, I think of like me, myself, and Irene and Jim Carrey, <laughs> like bouncing back and forth and being like, Blah! hilarious like, yeah. person, which yeah. is obviously really funny. Yeah. But I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, it is associated with I'm crazy. guessing schizophrenia right. is less right. funny than that, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably. I so. And I also don't think that that's even what it is. I, no, <laughs> yeah, I think that he was doing multiple personality disorder. But I mean, the, uh, they say schizophrenia in the show or in the movie. Yeah, the name of the the name of the illness itself. If like it, it can be a derogatory term. Like people call people, "Hey, that person's schizo. a schizo," mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and that certainly doesn't help totally. to take yeah. down the stigma. In the last couple of years, I really sat down with her and was like, "Okay, let's go back to 
I'm like, what are, what are you hearing? What is it? Where is it coming from? And it's all negative emotions. So it's mm. all traumatic things that happened to her in her childhood. And the voices now are just repeating that. Right. So the base of it is depression. Mm. And what, what's her, what's her like self-awareness on that too? Like, is she able to reflect on it and, and understand that and comprehend it? If I knew what I knew now at five years old, it would com- be completely different. So let's go back to when you were five then. Mm-hmm. What, like, I, I'm guessing, well, actually, I'm curious to know, when did you find out your mom had schizophrenia? When was that brought to your attention? Like, was it something that your family was just no, always my, kind of like, no, yeah, we're open so, about this? No, not at all. It wasn't an open thing at all. Like, I didn't even tell my best friends, probably my early 20s. Really? It's just one of those things that we just you didn't just talk about. Wraps. Number one problem. Right. Completely, that people aren't talking right? about it. People aren't com- talking about it because at that point, like her father, my grandfather went to war. So he's, so we're talking about generational trauma too, yeah. right? Mm. I rem- my dad told me she, my mother's sick. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing we kind of kept it at in my early teens, let's say. So I got very... Uh, resentful. Was that was that enough of an answer for you though? He said she's sick, and you and no, because I knew like there were fights all the time in my house, not like physical fights or anything, mm-hmm. but like right, she like would and- she would trip over anything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like it was like walking on eggshells, you know what I mean? And I'd be like, why is she going off of something that's completely like no one's talking about her, or they're not mad at her? Like why is she thinking these things? But I just didn't dig deeper at that time just because I just didn't understand it really and I just kind of wanted to live my life at the same mm-hmm. time. So do what you, was do you think you didn't dig deep too also though because of the the fear of yeah. finding out oh, something that you didn't yeah. want to find out? Yeah, definitely because I wanted a normal mother. Mm-hmm. Like any little girl I guess at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Wait, what what do you do you remember any like specific example of something that would like m- maybe send her off the deep end because like just for the reference of like how yeah. trivial of a of a of a thing could 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 trigger it something would be, like that. It would all have to like now like my father could have said something silly and then she would have went or even just going to the grocery store and um someone looked at her like the wrong way and she just would have kind of went off on that and my dad had no control over that either you know what I mean and it's just it's it's really tough to be to be in a relationship with somebody who who has a mental illness of any kind Mm -hmm. and I mean and that developing after too right right. because they had my brother we were six years apart and then they had me and then that developed when I was five. So they were together for a good 10 years, at least 11 years before that even started to develop. Would you talk to your brother at all about it? Uh, we do. Yeah. Like before we do. though, like when you were younger and, and your dad was saying that your mom's sick and because no. your brother, yeah. because, because your brother's six years older, yeah. I, I imagine that he might have a little bit more but of an understanding. But at the same but- time, he wasn't at the house all the time because he was old enough to kind of just go out and hang out with his friends and he didn't right. want me around at that age. Right. He didn't want his sister, his little sister around. So I guess when he's kinda, like 19 and you're 13 and there's a little bit of an age yeah, and maturity difference yeah, there too, right? Really do you, big one, do you remember so. the first time that like you learned it was actually schizophrenia? I did. And I was scared too at the same time. And I just, I kind of blocked it off. How old were you? Uh, probably around 16, 17. That's like a, that, that must be a, a very difficult time in, in like, I mean, in your mid teens, uh, dealing with, uh, illness or not, mm-hmm. that's a challenging time of mm-hmm. life anyway. So when, yeah, like you're graduating from high school. Yeah. And, and like, so I mean, I socially, you're my, just like, yeah. you're becoming a social <laughs> aware being, I, you know, and you kind of feel like you're like, you know, people know that there's something different, mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, cause with the medications too, you gain a lot of weight like she had a lot of weight gain too because of all these medications and it was just, she was at the house all the time. And it was just one of those things I was kind of sheltered too, because another thing that um, would kind of set her off is like, even just if I wanted to go have a sleepover at my friend's house, that would be a whole challenge mm-hmm. just in the sense, because she doesn't trust, she doesn't have that trust. Right. So it's yeah. just kind of like letting me go at the same time. That was a big 
Is, is there any paranoia or mist, mistrust that would come up in relation to anyone in her, in your guys' family? Mm-hmm. Like think that My, one yeah. of you guys are up to something? Uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I just mean that when you say that you go to a sleepover and and there's it trust issues yeah, it wouldn't on the necessarily outside of the be, family. I guess it necessarily wouldn't be about me necessarily. It would be to like the parents, like she would have to kind of get to know them a little bit beforehand. But like like when we go into talking about the voices, like I said, like she could be at the grocery store. She told me this, like when I go home, that's when we talk about it. She won't if she calls me and um, I know she's having a bad day. I just kind of give her positive feedback. But I remember her saying not too long ago, she was at the grocery store and out of nowhere just started saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. And and just that's just started repeating. And she thinks it's the person behind her. But she's saying it. But it's just, it's in her mind, right? But she thinks it's the person behind her. And I'm like, but mom, like we can't mind read. Yeah. Man, God, that's gotta be so hard. So is this, is that something that happened recently? Is that like a recent, uh, recent thing? Yeah. Yeah. How does that manifest in the moment for her? Does she take action on that in public or, or is it just something that she, like internal strife that she deals with until it? Oh yeah. She won't, she won't do any actions. Uh, I mean like turning around and being like, no, what the fuck? (laughs) No, no. She'll just get really nervous and then she'll kind of just. Does she, uh. I mean, I think maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, but does she, does she tell you like in that moment? She's like, Hey, no. listen, the lady behind me keeps saying, fuck you to me <laughs> in my head though. I <laughs> know. No, she doesn't. But sometimes I, I can tell cause she'll just kind of, her mannerisms will, sure. be, will be different. Right. And she kind of gets uncomfortable. Like sometimes I'm like, I just wish like that her voices could be like, eat a burger, eat a burger, eat a burger. Sure, yeah. High five someone, high five someone, high five someone. I have those voices all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And I usually act on them. (laughs) Oh, Jeremy, stop telling me to go to McDonald's. Okay, fine. Fine, I'll go, I'll go. So, like, now that you you said that um, recently you've you've started to be able to have a little bit more of, like, an in-depth conversation with her about it and that you're talking to her about it more, like... It, how does she describe? Because I'm trying to I'm trying to get an understanding of like how of, it started. I'm, I'm trying to get an understanding of like of like what it would be like if I just ran into your mom somewhere in public and started to have a conversation she, with her. She's not any different. She's a little bit more timid. You know what I mean. But she's not. She's just like you and I. But. <sighs> The effect of medications, I don't know if just because I mm. see it now closely, she's very, her train of thoughts are not really there. She's kind of numb right. in a sense. She, and this is kind of <laughs> hard to say, but I, I'm seeing my mother deteriorate Yeah, in yeah. front of me. Due to the medication? Due to the medications, because what the medications do is they numb out that part of the brain yeah. that is doing that because... I asked, and I only asked her this a couple of months ago. I was like, do you remember the specific moment that it all started? Because to me, it was like, okay, if you're not born with it, there's stress causes a lot of, a lot of things mm-hmm. and um, your nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, do you remember that point in time? And she's like, oh yeah, it felt like a pop in my head. Well, I was going to say that I was going to bring this up a little later in the Podcast, but since you're talking about medication, mm-hmm. and this is something that as soon as you mentioned medication, that uh, triggered in my brain. Uh, recently, I was listening to a episode of In- uh, Invisibilia, which is a great podcast that NPR does, and it was I can't remember what the episode was called, but Invisibilia basically is a podcast about uh, invisible forces that affect the way that we live, and one of them was on mental illness and this girl that was doing studies in like the fifties and sixties, she noticed that medication Mm -hmm. when she would go to uh, mental, mental uh, hospitals, that it was just basically a bunch of people going around looking like they were drooling because they're just been numbed by medication. They've just been numbed Mm -hmm. down. Yeah. And so this girl, she got a research grant to go over to Belgium to that town in Belgium. Such a good episode that Mm -hmm. there's a town in Belgium. I can't remember the name. Do you guys remember the name? Uh, I don't. There's a town in Belgium where it's something like Gale or like something Gale like or Gale. Gale Gale I think it's like G H E I L or something yeah. like that. And it's a town where 
for hundred for like three or four hundred years has been like a safe haven for mental illness where all all around the world has like people with mental illnesses were like persecuted and just not accepted mm-hmm. into society. And in this town, it's like something like seventy-five percent of the town has a mental illness. And it's a tradition in the town for people to take in me- people with mental illnesses that don't have support. Mm-hmm. And just take them in and basically adopt them. And then yeah. they'll live with them for decades. And for like on average, they said that the on average people will live with the family for thirty years. Yeah. And it was so and this wild. was yeah. the this was the difference. It was this town is medication. It's therapeutic. The, the atmosphere of this town mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the medication. Mm-hmm. And it's this openness and total Total acceptance. acceptance of it where the, you know, the girl who's doing the podcast, she goes, I went into a coffee shop and I saw a barista serve someone with, who was visibly having vi- vivid hallucinations while ordering coffee, treat them and uh, treat them and take their order just the same as she did when I, I went up and ordered mm-hmm. <laughs> like with no. Now, can you imagine right now going down to spring garden, walking into Starbucks <laughs> and pretending you were having massive hallucinations and trying to order coffee what that barista would do? Yeah. Or being in an episode. Uh, they would totally yeah. like, they'd be like, uh, uh, call the police. You know, like, so I guess the whole point of it is that conversations like these that we're having and trying to promote this and this openness mm-hmm. in terms of talking about it and being, you know, way more okay with it as a society rather than not that medication doesn't have its, its place. It totally does. Because when there's a chemical imbalance, there is a chemical imbalance and you need a medication to help that. However, there has to be a balance totally in everyday life. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you can have a therapeutic balance with just realizing what's going on and why you're having those thoughts or just those negative thought and just put that into a positive energy. Mm-hmm. I think a lot could be done yeah. for mental illness in general. And to bring it back to the, really the, the point of this episode, the support systems that are mm-hmm. in place for them, like mm-hmm. a daughter, mm-hmm. a, a son, a <laughs> yeah. father who is, yeah. has obviously been mm-hmm. supportive and strong in, mm-hmm. in that relationship. But And it's knowing how to deal with that because before, let's say past me, let's go back to my early um, teens when I was re- uh, resentful, I wasn't helpful with no, no, at all because I didn't want anything to do with it. You're just assuming my mom's psycho. My mom's just like a yeah. moody and like mm-hmm. she's being it's, it's just, irris- like irrational and yeah. irresponsible. Just, and it's just not, we were just not jiving and, you mm-hmm. know, she really, and she, really wanted me in her life and I just kept pushing her back. You that's know what the, I mean? And that's the thing that I, I want to talk about because uh, like we were just talking about getting more into your experience mm-hmm. and, and the thing that I find really fascinating about this is that a lot of, a lot of people think of their, their mom as, as like a, a safe person. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, the person that they can go to when they're just, when things are falling apart and they need a rock to, yeah. to, to lean on for support, their mom is a person that they can, mm-hmm. they can go to. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I really want to know is, is like, how has that, how has your mom's schizophrenia affected you and your relationship in, in finding that safe zone in her? Very, very hard. I'm just finding that safe zone now. My safe zone was, I was very fortunate, kind of like you guys. I have four, or we're four really good girlfriends that they're kind of like my, I consider them my family. And all we've met probably around middle school or even younger. And they were kind of my family at that point. That was my safe zone. Mm -hmm. So for advice or anything like that, I wouldn't necessarily go to my mother hmm. point blank. And I feel bad. You know what I mean? Like we didn't, we didn't have that bond. What, what about your, your dad? Do you, do you find that your relationship with your dad is stronger though? Because yeah, of that? Yeah, definitely. In some sense, for sure. Um, I still don't go to my dad for everything, everything, but like obviously normal everyday basis, like, Oh, I'm sick or just like little things. I'll call my mom, but for, I guess maybe bigger events or like relationships or anything like that, I would usually go to a a best friend. I find, I find the the dynamic really fascinating because, um, my parents got divorced when I was 15 Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
previous to that, um, I always had like a, a, a rough relationship with my mom. She was kind of like the the law, the rule maker mm-hmm. in the family, and she was she was a little bit tougher on my brother and I with with punishment and and saying no, you can't do this, no, you can't do this, and uh, that, and clean your room and blah blah blah. And um, and but after my parents got divorced, uh, and I, I lived with my mom after that, mm-hmm. and our relationship slowly started to get better and better and stronger and stronger. And, and only really in, in my early twenties did I, did I come to like develop a, a very strong relationship with my mom Yeah, and a little bit less so with my dad. Yeah. And like, I'm just I wondering. I think that comes with maturity too at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I had mentioned that, but she got really sick and I, my conspiracy theory is because of the medication. And uh, so we had to, the doctors induced her in a coma for a couple of weeks. That holy shit! Yeah. How old were you? When wait, that, was, that was two years ago when I first moved here. So wait, what kind of sick? What are we talking here? Like what? Uh, what, what happened? When I saw it's her lungs. So my like I said, my conspiracy theories, the medications. But when I saw the um, X-ray machine or the X-rays of her lungs, it was completely clouded. Completely, like she just. Oh, so she got physically sick. Physically, like, yeah, physically, okay. physically sick. Okay, we're not and, talking uh, like the schizophrenia. No, okay, no, she just got. She out of nowhere. She told my dad, she's like, I have a hard time breathing. Like I'm not really sure what's going on. And the next day, it was still kind of going, and they brought her to the hospital, and that was going on. And so when that happened, that was like the turning point of our relationship relationship for sure now you were saying that you so like past you younger you you had a lot of resentment Mm -hmm. is that the the turning point like where the resentment stopped or is that the point where you started to like see your mother in a different light i guess what i'm trying to find figure out is like at what point at what point was schizophrenia in your mind looked at as like as a mental illness that mm-hmm. your mother is suffering from, as opposed to looking at your mother and seeing a woman who is ill, as mm-hmm. like by your dad's standard or yeah. terms, uh, and not really like actually digging in to find like why she's sick or what what's going on there. I don't even need to answer that question because like after high school, you're so resent, and then I just wanted to move out and I really almost didn't really want to understand it in a sense because it was scary but then you you start digging okay there's other mental illnesses too and and you kind of realize that like okay depression and all that plays into part and then it kind of not that it's the norm but you do realize that it's it is accepted in society but it's just kind of when I started to talk about it with my friends that I realized that okay it's okay we can, mm. you can really accept that this is your mother and you have a turning point now. It's either you're going to be resent, resentful towards her your whole life or you're going to switch that relationship. And be there to support, right? Mm-hmm. And how did your, how, like you mentioned that your friends were okay with it, but what was that conversation still, like telling them? I feel like it's hard for people to still understand in a sense, because it's a hard illness to understand. So I feel like you can't always connect on that level until maybe you go through something or kind of not similar or you go through another illness in in some way. Like I find it's hard to find that connection with people. Do you have have friends that you think identify with your your mom or your situation um, because they've been through Um, experiences? Uh, different experiences for right. sure, but I think with maturity too in in life experiences in general, we start more to connect on that level for sure. But I think early on in your teenage years, it's harder to wrap your brain around that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, having those conversations, it's it's and tough. It's, and at that a, time. it's a stigma, yeah, too. At the same time, right? It's stigma so, and and just having a conversation that has a lot of depth and a lot of meaning to it mm-hmm. is a tough thing to have regardless of the subject matter when you're that age. And when you're told to, like I was told my father didn't want me to talk about it with people. Right. So yeah, so, you're like, so when you're, when you're told that I'm at a young age, <coughs> you kind of just, okay, I'm going to listen to that and not talk about it. 
Mm-hmm. And just and then, keep going. And that, and that, and then you're repressing your feelings. You're repressing totally. everything. And right? that and stint, just like, oh, that's yeah. uh, that. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Stint, not stint. Uh, stunt. Stunt. Uh, that stunts your. That stunts your ability to develop mm-hmm. your skills in terms of conversing about it and yeah. expressing or coping, how you feel, or coping. even coping with it. Because I feel like that has tremendously, tremendously influenced me in my everyday. Ba- everyday basis from relationships from how I function or to well that's a huge piece let's Mm -hmm. talk more about that so you're you're finding that like the basic (coughs) your basic method of coping with something was was not developed very strongly so then that rolls into all other aspects of your life Mm -hmm, for sure like what kind of what kind of stuff um how has it affected your relationships Love relationships, like yeah. I don't. It's, a no. Are you, are you it's a no for me. Like I date, but I don't go that far because for me, bringing that upon somebody is a huge. Bringing huge, what upon somebody? Your your mom, or bringing that or into like, the fa- yeah, just, kind of bring like just like hey guys, like this is what's going on in my family because it could happen that tomorrow I would have to go and take care of her. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I find I kind of find like that's like baggage. You don't it's think that there's somebody. It's a different type of baggage. You don't, you don't think there's somebody out there that that would be loving and accepting of that. Uh, well, not that there's not anybody out there. It just hasn't. When it will surface, it will surface. But However, you're not pursuing it I'm actively. Not, I don't. I kind of learned this thing is I don't force anything. Do you do you mean mm. that you don't want to expose a person to? the difficulties that you share in your family with your mom? I guess or that's the, my coping. I think that's my coping mechanism because I kind of feel like it's, it's baggage in a sense. And I know it's just me having mm-hmm. to switch that mentality. What about like friendships? Uh, friendships, it's okay, but I would usually like bringing them in my household wasn't necessarily a thing. Mm-hmm. I would usually go to people's go to places. Else's house. Yeah, I would never bring people over at my house. Right. In terms of growing up, and and then what about like now? Now that you're an adult, living on your yeah, own, like it's okay. Yeah, it, it's yeah, yeah, right. It's a lot do you, better now. Do you ever talk about it with um, aside from that like core group of girlfriends that you had mm-hmm. when you were younger? What's your you know if you have the if you have the need to like talk about. What if you you know you're down on what's going on with your mm-hmm. mom or, or I've your had, family? I have found one good coworker that I can confide in. Yeah, confide in that for sure because she has had similar experiences, and that's the only reason why I would even open up mm-hmm. in that sense. Because I feel I, it's almost like listen, having to talk with that with somebody that you almost feel like a burden at the same time because mm-hmm. you go kind of feel like the Debbie Downer in a sense. Now, do you think that comes from, uh, do you think that part of that feeling of being a Debbie Downer comes from the fact that you were told not to talk yeah. about it oh, when you were sure. younger? For sure. What, what do you think that is? Like, why do you think your, why do you think your dad or, or even your mom, like, why do you think your family the, didn't want to talk about it? The Was, stigma of back then. <coughs> the shame. Dude, oh, it's, for sure. Of, it's, it, it's a generational, it wasn't talked about. Yeah. In the 70s and in the 80s, like, you were considered a crazy person. Were you guys, you a, did you guys come up in a small community, like a smaller no, community? Or, no, no, not okay. at all. It's, it's exactly, like, the reason why, um, have you guys ever heard that um, people talk about uh, parents handling their their kids coming out? Um and saying it's the same, yeah. they say like don't they're they're like I'm 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 okay with you being gay, but I just don't want you to tell anybody because it's gonna make your life harder or things like things like right, that, right? right? Like like just just don't openly put it out there because it's there's too much stigma stigma around it and it's gonna be too difficult for other people to accept. Really like they're they're saying this because they wanna protect you, mm-hmm. yet really They're it's doing the, it's the up, almost they're up. doing it. They're it's counterproductive because We've learned that by talking about things like this and and talking about challenging experiences, like that's being open about is what gets rid of that stigma, right? Inadvertent oppression. The the thing that the thing that you you have to realize is that like Cece, you coming in here and talking to us is absolutely no different than you talking to somebody else on the street because, like, before doing this podcast, we, we the three of us have had absolutely no qualifications to be talking about these things mm-hmm. from like a, a therapeutic um, 
the approach, right? Yeah. Like, I, like, I barely know how to string a sentence together in general. You don't um, even know. You don't know Jeremy math. Can't do, <laughs> you know? Jeremy can't do basic math right? or write? basic grammar. Or yeah, or basic talk talk. And yeah. I think that yeah. when when people are open in it and accepting it and are willing to to listen um, and not pass judgment, then which I do believe that human beings are inherently good and want to be supportive and want to help. And I I know that stigma is something that's hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. But I, I do honestly believe that being open about this, and I think that this is what you're saying too, Cece, is that talking about it is, is the answer, right? Yeah. Being open about it yeah, is the answer. Definitely, definitely. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So after this uh, experience where you, you said your mom got sick and, uh, and she, she was put into a coma, mm-hmm. uh, when she came out of the coma, what was that like? Was, when she came out of the coma, was she a different person? or? Oh, yeah, because she was completely unbalanced. Yeah, oh, right. So you spend 20 years, like, because with medications too, it always changes. You always kind of have to find a new medication because your body gets used to a certain one and then it stops mm-hmm. working. So over 20 years of trying to balance somebody out and then they're sleeping for two weeks. So when they wake up, she was completely, she, let's just say she didn't want to be there. Right. Or it, like here. Just to rewind for a quick sec, I, I guess we did, we kind of brushed over this, but uh, in those, in those, you know, that 20 year span, mm-hmm. like since you were five up to this point where she got sick, mm-hmm. um, how often, like, was it kind of like a, I'm trying to picture it in terms of like bipolar, like is yep. it up and down? Oh yeah, for sure. Like there's times where she, like her medications are yeah. kind of on point. She's yeah, and kind she's of just doing, like a regular yeah, mom. Yeah, she's kind of cruising along for yeah. a week or two. And then if and, you would know, she would wake up and she'd kind of be like, it, like I said, it's like walking on eggshells. Right. So, and if she's down, she's down for a few days for sure. And that's when she starts to have her episodes. Or and it could last much. anywhere from like a day or two to, to, like, a, week. to what, a week. What okay. type of things oh, yeah. did you do in those, like you're identifying those, those kind of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Were there things that you did yourself to like that you would notice, oh, mom's walking on eggshells today or I need to be walking on eggshells today because mom woke up on the, the ba- yeah, yeah. figurative wrong. Yeah, wrong as my dad would put it, someone pissed in her cornflakes. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that. when I would just go play outside. I know, I know, I know that one. Yeah. Oh, that's because yeah. your, your dad's a newfie. Yeah. My mom oh, used to say it. that but shit. You, yeah. you just said you you would go play outside. Yeah, I would do something else. You just get or out of the house. Or I would just go in my room and listen to music or just find something to do, yeah. So she goes into this induced coma and then comes out. How, how, like how severe was that? Um I guess in terms of like for, for her and, and for you, like to, to handle that. It was, that was the first time for me that it kind of just clicked. I clicked into like, okay, this is what I need to do mode. Because when she was in the coma, I called my dad and I was like, uh, do you have her, like I'm coming down. Cause he didn't want me to come down. First of all, he was being the protective father, obviously. And just, he didn't want me to see my mother in that, in that state. Because if you, if you, if I can give you a picture like she's too she probably has like 12 bags like she's tubed up two to the nines yeah they have to they have to make her bodily function (laughs) shuts down oh completely right so she's too i've never like that was the even just the picture of seeing her like that you're like okay but i kind of went into like just okay this is what i need to do so caretaker mode exactly that's when i guess my caretaker's mo um not mode, side was born was yeah my role kind of started and so I called my dad and I'm like do you have her Barry White CD because she loves <laughs> she loves Barry White like R&B anything like that like that's what she has playing at the house that's where I got I know that's where I got my taste Baby. in music yeah <laughs> and uh he's like yeah I'm like okay can you bring it because I'm coming down tomorrow so I spent that day when I got to the hospital they were preparing us for her to to go 
Oh, whoa. Yeah. Like it was at that point. And what I was like, what was it in her lungs? We still don't know. They're controlling it with a medication. It was just like with a steroid. It was like an inflammation. And it's just like, what I, like I said, when I was looking in the x ray, it was just kind of like a big cloud. It was fluid and cloud. Wow. And they don't know what caused it, et cetera, et cetera. So um, they were preparing us for her to leave that day. And I was like, that's not happening. Like she's not going. I don't know what you guys are doing. But they have to do, they have to, prepare you for the worst case scenario because her oxygen level was Are you talking about leave? Like, are you talking about like a metaphor oh, she, for dying? Oh, like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. They were prepared because yeah. her oxygen level, she needed a tube to breathe. Like she yeah. couldn't breathe on her own. She was just, her fight was losing. Like she was kind of losing her fight. Sure. You're talking to your dad on the phone. You're like, just let me talk to the doctor. All she needs is some Barry White, White and she's yeah. going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got there, I was talking with the nurse and I was like, I was like, just give me an hour. Like, can nobody come in the room? Just give me an hour and I'm just going to talk with my mom for a bit. And you performed a seance, like a Well, not a seance in a sense, but I was talking with my, (laughs) I have an aunt. She's a a nurse in the emergency room. And she's like, "Uh, Cece, can you um, come down? Like, patients in coma, they, they hear everything. They know what's going on. Like, can you just, she needs to hear your voice. She needs to know that she's okay. Just come down and, and talk with her. So I spent an hour, I put her Barry White CD on for the rest of the day. And I pretty much told everything that I wanted to tell her my whole life, I guess. That's kind of when you, you just, you pour your heart out. You know what, what I mean? Uh, and, what was and it? Like what in a sense, you... like just apologizing for being such a shitty, shitty daughter, you know what I mean? And just not understanding her and just not being there for her when I, I was being selfish. I was playing the victim the whole time. That's kind of what I realized that like the, my whole life I was playing the victim, which I should have never ever have done because there's nothing wrong with me. She's the one suffering. Mm-hmm. She's, you know what I mean? Like it, I, that's not a life. I agree. I, I, I understand where you're coming from there, but yeah. also I, I feel like in some ways um, you were the victim of miscommunication and, and not yeah. talking about it enough, um, which is not to uh, uh, direct blame elsewhere, mm-hmm. but I I think going back to what you were saying earlier about the importance of talking about it, I think that that I think that goes a long way. And, yeah. and although you may have been acting out and being this quote unquote shitty kid, mm-hmm. um, I do think that talking about it probably would have made it easier for you to handle too. Yeah. Well, what yeah. we're doing, what we're why this is so, why this is important, and why we do the, the these series of episodes where we talk to people who are affected by or caretakers of people who are sick is that we're trying to educate and it's not, you know, you're not alone in being a part of a family or a part of a situation where things were suppressed early, early in your life because of the time, because of Mm -hmm. the generation. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the same, it's the same argument of going like, well, don't talk about death with kids. Like, like keep them away from that for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas it's more like, well, maybe we should talk about it early on so that when it comes up and it actually is, you have to deal with it, that you're, that you're, you've been exposed yeah. or you tell people like, just don't have sex. <laughs> well, you're more likely to have unprotected sex or whatever, mm-hmm. go off and do mm-hmm. and, and not handle mm-hmm. it correctly. Yeah. So when you are exposed to it and, and people, hopefully if there's, you know, parents or a family that goes through this and they're listening and they have children their children could probably really benefit from having a much more open dialogue about what's happening mm-hmm. and to embrace it and to so that that caretaker role caretaker role or that support role has the opportunity to grow and establish itself earlier in your life rather than waiting for a time where your mom gets put mm-hmm. into a coma and at, you're saying goodbye to her yeah but at the same time what i know now like well, you guys all teach yoga I started doing yoga five years ago. My mentality from before that to now is completely different. So mm-hmm. I feel like my role as a as a, a caretaker is a hundred times better than it would have been at that time. Because now, when she's having episodes, I literally just give her support and be like, "Mom, like you're you're amazing. Mm-hmm. You're a strong, amazing woman." you have control of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. That's not, I was like, I explained it to you. It's a neuron connection. You've lost your connection from point A to point B. 
we all have the ability to process information, she that neuron connection for her is gone. Mm. It's kind of like a car and you have like those um, those switches and it just a, a fuse will will break. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that happened to her, but in her brain. Right. So once the patient understands that, then I think the therapeutic conversations and just like the managing of the emotions and everything can kind of come into place. But me at 20 wouldn't have understood this. Mm-hmm. Right. But don't you, but do, do you think that that is a, that is not entirely because of, but definitely affected by the atmosphere of your youth? The and, fact okay, that you, yeah. you know, that you wouldn't talk about yeah. it and that there's no yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Has, yeah. That's kind of coming into, yeah. Has your, has your mom ever, like even in in recent his in in the recent years, has she opened up to you and and told you how important it is um, what you're doing for her? Uh yeah, and mostly in the last few months. But she'll like she'll say like you know thank you. Like I know she, I don't want to say is the word dependent. Bad. Like it's not, but when she goes through her low times, it's almost like she needs to kind of call me mm-hmm. and then we just have a little chat and then she's kind of good to go. Like she'll thank me. She's like, thank you for being that support. And I, I, I guess, I guess she and, always and wants me to move back home. Thinking back about the, myself just asking that question. I think it's important to note that it's not, it's not necessary for her to say that because mm-hmm. I think that you have the, the, the wherewithal to to know that what you're doing is is helping her. Mm-hmm. So I don't want I don't want to like put this message out there that like it's important to get that Cred- no. credit. that yeah credit, credit for that yeah. because it's it it isn't really and and as long but it's as your parent at the same time like they still done so much you know as yeah. much totally, as yeah. I as much as I didn't have that <clears throat> friendship with my mother that I've kind of always wanted to have she still they my parents still gave me the freedom to be whoever I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. That's you know, like if I wanted to leave, like I left at 18 and then I moved out and I just, and after that, like I moved away, like they would never put any pressures or any boundaries on me on like, you need to go to university, you need to do this, you need to do that. Like Cece's going to do what she needs to do when she needs to do it. We just got to uh, let her. F- you mentioned, you mentioned your mom wanting you to move back. How do you, how, how did that, how, what was that decision like of, of leaving the town? She's still... At home in your yeah. hometown, yeah, and you're here. So how how did that? How did you deal with that? How did you come up and rationalize that decision um, to move, or even and to stay? I, ne- I think this is where I kind of get selfish. That I needed to do that for me to grow, for me to kind of get out of that environment where I was in that kind of. What was that suppressed. decision like? Uh, it was, was it easy or was it? Or it was easy for me, and at that time, now it gets harder and harder because I. It, Times, you know, times going by and I want to be there for as much as I can. But at the same time, I need to do what I need to do to become who I am. Right. And I think I was being too, I think Mm. if I would be living back home now, I would be, I would be too wrapped up in, in that. That's hard. That that strikes you know me. I mean? That strikes me as yeah. a hard as a hard decision to make to, to try I'd to balance t- yeah. you, what you need with what she needs mm-hmm. and how you how you balance your role as a as a, yeah. as a caretaker and your role as your own person. I mm-hmm. think I think a lot of uh, the conversation that we have with Bridie, um because what like and even with this this illness in your mom's lungs mm-hmm. and them telling you that she could possibly die yeah. that day. Like I guess that would would that force you to to be a little bit more to I guess to think about the future without her because when we talk to yeah. uh, Jeremy's wife like she she talk she often has to think about like what what will life mm-hmm. be like eventually when if Jeremy's gone right and and how do you think about life like that I came to terms with it I think when I was young because I knew she was sick. And in my mind, I was just like, she's not living. So I guess like we can dabble on even like suicidal assistance and like all those types of things that are kind of popping up right now. It's just like, I know that when her time comes, like she's lived her life. And I think I, I'm seeing death in a whole other way now. Do you? In, how, a, in a sense, just. But wh- how do you envision 
how will your life change from uh, now when your mom is gone? My life will complete because I'm going like, well, first of all, I'm taking the role and going back to school because now I want to dabble. Now that I know kind of how to not handle this situation, but I know a lot more of it. Like I want to help other people. Mm -hmm. So my life is completely changing now. And I know it's because of her in a sense, I'll be able to help more people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess it's, that's kind of a hard question to certainly, but and even more, and just to, I guess almost to push a little bit harder here, because yeah. you talk about your, uh, when we talked about relationships and yeah. romantic relationships and mm-hmm. not feeling like you, you don't want to bring these, these potential people into a, into your family situation. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that that will change too once she's inevitably gone? Uh, and have you thought of that? I haven't really thought about that. Maybe. Um, I would still want, like now, I still would like to be able to bring somebody along right now, but I feel like I'm learning how to present the situation right. a lot smoother mm-hmm. because I am more aware of it and I'm more knowledgeable of, of it. Is right? that because maybe even your perception is that the stigma is lifting a little mm-hmm. bit? Yeah, too. definitely. Because definitely. the more it's, it sounds like the more that you talk about it as well, the the less stigma there is in for your sure. own perception too. Yeah, for sure. I I would like to come back to so you know you, you were you were kind of in the middle of a story there about how you went in <clears throat> to the, talk to your mom and mm-hmm. kind of pour out all the things to her that you wish you had said uh, beforehand. Um, when when she. Um, whatever it was that brought her out of a coma, mm-hmm. I guess we'll never really know. Maybe no. it was your, you know, that, no, that hour that you took or whatever. Yeah. But when she did come out um, and you had now stepped up to this caretaker role, mm-hmm. uh, what, what was that process like of trying to navigate, um, you know, guiding your mom back to pilot back, mode back to yeah exactly yeah I would get frustrated because I would spend so I would do three days I would come here work four days and then go home three days mm-hmm. I would do that every week oh wow okay and um and you you're so home for you is another province from mm-hmm. here it's like several so hours it's from a couple here. hours drive yeah it's a good drive mm-hmm. so I would rent a car and go down and uh, I would kind of get frustrated because she would have that con- that connection with me and we would work together for two, three days. I would come here work and I would go back and she'd be right back down in the, in the shitter. Right. And I'd be like, guys, <laughs> what's going on? Like what <laughs> happened in that, that, that span of a week? So it took her, her real, real because she lost all muscle mass. She lost a lot of weight. Like she had to relearn how to walk, et cetera, oh, yeah. et cetera. So that took her about a good five months and she was still in, in an oxygen tank for probably eight months. Did you oh, feel wow. like you were doing that kind of on your own or like, did you feel like there was a support? There was still system? support for sure. Yeah. Okay, for sure. Good. Yeah. There was a support system. <laughs> Obviously my father was there. My brother, he has other th- life going on. Right. Kid, so sure. yeah, yeah, kids own business, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So, um, and then her family, like some people definitely came in and help. And like, obviously the hospital is still good. Like there's n- nothing wrong with the hospitals. They just don't have the time <clears> to <throat> spend on somebody as they, sh- I guess, as anybody should, because, you know, even like physio is an hour a day. Mm-hmm. So I would come and I would go and just do things like that with her, mm-hmm. go walk around the hospital, do her exercises and stuff like and that. It wouldn't be all just talking. And you know while I mean? all this is going on, what's like, how is her schizophrenia manifesting? Like how, you know, like yeah, bringing, that's her, an unbalance for bringing sure. her back to, uh, uh, um, you know, a, a coma Struggles yeah. aside, yeah. trying to get your mom back on some sort of like Balance. track yeah. that that is that is kind of balanced. Um, for the first month, it was, uh, let's say, out of whack. Um, she comp- she didn't necessarily tell me all the time what was going on, but I know, like, even in the hospital, there was a few people she didn't trust. Like, I could even tell, like, when they would come into the room, like a couple nurses, she'd be like. just in her face and I'm like there's nothing wrong (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it's okay like how does she respond to you basically being like what you are thinking is not right (laughs) better now Mm. she's taking in I think because I've shown her another side of me I've shown like I think 
she trusts me a lot more now that she'll kind of take mm. in what I say. Right. I picture her like like laying in the hospital bed, like creating these fanciful like exaggerations of reality. Oh, yeah. Like and oh, yeah. like the nurses and stuff are coming in. She's like creating all these stories and well, backstories behind them. <laughs> and you're I'll, like, no, 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 mom, it's no. okay. And then it just like wipes away. And I'll like say three this, seconds yeah. later, boom, it's back. Um, I'll like share this one story. Like, I don't want to share a lot of because it's not my experience. But mm-hmm. when she came out of the coma, because she had, she was all bagged up. At one point, she thought one of the nurses was giving her acid, and I'm like, "Mom, <laughs> like LSD acid?" Yeah. She, he's like, "He's the one that gave me acid," and I'm like, "No, mom, it's just your medication. Oh, wow. You're on a lot of them. Do you see the bags?" Because mm-hmm. she was so like. She, Suicide is a big thing. She'll never act on it, but one of the things in her, and that's kind of going on in her head, that's one of the main things. So when she woke up, like she didn't want to be there and it was kind of funny. You know that little um, heart rate thing that's on your mm-hmm. finger all the yeah, time? Mm-hmm. I showed up the next morning and it's on her toes. And I'm like, mom, really? Because <laughs> she just kept trying to just unlatch everything. Right. That was, I think that was the hardest part for the first couple of weeks is just mm-hmm. she not wanting to be there. Did- does that scare you, the the suicidality of, of the entire, you know? No, because she'll tell me she won't ever do it. However, when I was and you, younger. you trust that, yeah, you know, she Because when that. I was younger, there was, I think, a couple scares. I'm not, we don't go into it. I, mm-hmm. I haven't asked questions about it, but it's just because that's one of the voices that are, is repeating in her head. Hmm. Some schizophrenia, like I've watched a lot of episodes and stuff, and some schizophrenias will act on a lot of the things that the voices are telling them to do, mm-hmm. and then some won't. And I know for my mom, like she, she'll tell me all the time, like I won't, I don't act on it and whatnot, but that's one of the things that kind of pop in because she knows that she's numb in a sense. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, and I don't know if you know much about this to speak to it, but is is there any worries from your side of things that um, that you may one day face the a yeah. similar oh, you yeah. know, diagnosis oh, yeah. that your mom faces yeah, yeah. hereditary. I think um, I don't know. No, well, I'm saying no. They don't. They said they had found a gene. It's a, It's called the C4. Um, I think it's managing your stress. Because, like I said, my mother my mother was in a lot of stress when that kind of just clicked mm. in her head mm-hmm. it kind of popped so i'm a lot more careful on what i take on and what kind of situations i put myself in so maybe that's another is that a catalyst for you starting to practice yoga or is that completely unrelated oh definitely like taking that, that on well, as a preventative measure oh, for, for your sure. stress oh for sure mm. yeah and how do you find that that has Obviously, it's been five years. So tremendous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can definitely manage my my way of thinking. My st- I still have work to do. We all have work to do. Well, I guess. I don't know. And what is it about it? Because I know <coughs> that we 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 mentioned we've mentioned a, a shitload of times that we're all yoga teachers. We never really go into the benefit of yoga and what it what it does. But on mm-hmm. the mental health scale, and uh, you know, I have a, I have a friend who's a teacher who basically will say that yoga is is a cure for mental illness and and not a very very anti medication mm-hmm. and i don't completely subscribe to that i think that medication is important and uh but also like the preventative um preventative medicine yoga is a preventative medicine for managing uh your psyche and prophylactically well it's teaching you even to exactly. just breathe just yeah. concentrating on your breathing. That's just, you're conscious. You're, you're even conscious of that. That's one thing ahead of a lot. Because we're so, our environment right now is so, I guess, um, controlled by a screen. Hmm. Or like, there's just so much going on, right? Like, never, never settle for anything yeah. less. Attention like, spans are getting shorter yeah. and shorter. Yeah. yeah. You're expected so, to do 10 times more, more in half than, the time. Exactly. So I think when you're in that environment and you don't take time for yourself and realize like, okay, my body's telling me this or my body's because your, your body will manifest signs probably before you're even aware of it. Mm-hmm. So doing yoga, you're completely aware of your body and your breathing. And then I think that kind of helps to control. That's when you're 
thoughts control and then, okay, positive, positive. Because for her, it's all traumatic experiences that happen when she was younger. Oh, yeah. Like like, like establishing (coughs) habits of reminding yourself positivity, positivity, Mm -hmm. positivity. And then those will be the thoughts that keep repeating themselves Mm -hmm. in your head instead of some traumatic ones that can catalyze... you're, you're really yeah. loving that word today, catalyze. <laughs> catalyze. I don't know even if it's I a word, but I, don't, I, I, I know. I, I don't um, know what is. you just said, I, I'm not a doctor. Like, I'm right. not sure what's going on in that sense because um, there's, do you guys listen to TED Talks? Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a really good girl. Um, it's called The Voices in My Head, and she is called Eleanor Longden. And she is graduated from university. She has schizophrenia, and she kind of dabbles into that what you just said and how she uses the voices in a positive reinforcement instead of an, but it took her 10 years to control. I I think control is a strong word. It took her 10 years to kind of adjust the voices and use them in a good maneuvering way to go through life on an everyday basis. Right. Establishing positive thought patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because for the same thing for her, like she went to medications and that kind of, doesn't always bring out the best. Yeah. It does good, but you need more. Right. Yeah, I think they're still, there's, they're still in very much in their infancy and in developing medication yeah. to treat and mental edu- illness. Totally, yeah. yeah. And education. Yeah. It's like, you know, bipolar or mood disorders or, and depression, like ADD and all that stuff. Like depression is a major, I guess, uh, base. And then it kind of just adds on from there. Mm-hmm. So where are you at now uh, in terms of, you know, like, are you, are you still going out to, to help support your mom every once in a while or, mm-hmm. or is Not it more from like kind of, uh, from here, you kind of just call and stay yeah. in touch and that kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. I talk, I talk to her every day. Mm-hmm. I make sure I call her every day, oh, wow. even if it's for five minutes, mm-hmm. just checking in. Hey, how's it going? I'll go home now, maybe once every couple months. Hmm. And I how guess. are you doing with it? Like how are now that you are, you know, you're mm-hmm. more mature than you were now mm-hmm. that you have this yoga practice. Yeah. How, like, how are you feeling about, about, about your situation? Uh, better. I think it gets better every day. I'm here talking to you guys. Mm-hmm. I think that's a major, major, major step. Mm. I needed to do it. Um, and it's just going to keep getting better, but there's still things to work on and there's still still things to learn. So mm. it's one of the things that you're working on being more comfortable talking to other people about it. Yeah, for sure. Mm. I really think that the, that way you said almost right at the beginning where you said that this is like a second support group for you uh-huh. and like establishing the importance of the fact that the reason why you feel that way is because it's an open dialogue mm-hmm. and that can be recreated and reproduced with friends um, on so many different levels in society. And that's the goal. That's the big goal mm-hmm. for us. The big, hairy, the B-hag. The B-hag, yeah. The when you guys are doing a great job, though. Well, uh, I. <coughs> is there anything that we haven't touched on that you would you would like to, to hit? And if you if not, that's totally fine, too. Or anything that like because you mentioned the the going to that support group mm-hmm. um, for anybody who hasn't been able to make it to one of those yet. Yeah. Is there anything that you would say to those people? Um, I would say still go for just the experience and uh, get the information in and go in it with an open mind. Because once you go into that, you can kind of dabble in, into other things. Because there is, I realized, I was like, okay, I'm really not the only one going through this. There's And there's even, there's worse situation and there's less worse situation. So we're all in the same boat here and we're all here to help each other out. It's just, it's like finding a doctor or finding a, a good friend that you can connect with. It takes a couple times yeah. before mm. you kind of dabble in into something that you're really comfortable. So mm. I would say definitely go. Awesome. Yeah. Find the support. There is support out there mm-hmm. for sure. Well, Cece, thank you so much for taking the time to come in and, and chat with us today about, yeah, about your experience uh, with, with schizophrenia in yeah, the thanks family. Yeah, you guys. Um, that's it for today. Uh, thank you all for listening, taking the time to listen today. Mm. 
you all who listen make uh, this possible for us to do this. Just go to the, go to the <coughs> iTunes store and fucking subscribe That's to it. That's right. So if you haven't subscribed, subscribe. And if you haven't uh, rate and reviewed, rate and review. God. Um, keeps us on the, that's right. Keeps us on the charts. And that's really important, the iTunes charts. Because um, that's the, the primary place where people find us. Um, and also, uh, we say it time and time again, but uh, we're doing this kind of on our own on our own time on our own dime and and uh good rhyme thanks and uh we don't have the the backing of like big podcast networks or or you know celebrity fandom like a lot of podcasts out there do so uh we kind of rely on you guys to help us keep this going so uh we've turned to patreon uh you can support us there www.patreon.com slash sickboy P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So close to our first goal. There's We're also, so close. There's a really cool, we put a cool video up there that explains. Yeah, explains exactly explains what Patreon is. Running. Yeah, yeah and we're out. all in a bed together. and uh, Naked. And we look like we're naked. Yeah. I think, uh, we think we I were. think I was I think you for were. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you all so much for tuning in today. We hope you have an amazing day, an amazing week, an amazing life. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.